It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Fee Stubblefield, CEO, founder, and president of The Springs Living with its home office in McMinnville, Oregon. Fee started The Springs Living in 1996 with an idea to build a retirement community his grandmother would want to live in as she faced the challenges of aging. Today, there are 17 communities in Oregon and Montana, and Springs Living has never focused on being the biggest, but simply to offer a high-quality experience for its customers and employees. Fee embraces the fact that the magic of their profession is in the daily interactions between the residents and direct care staff. Fee is married and has three adult children. He's the immediate past chair of the Oregon Healthcare Association and is on the Operator Advisory Board of the National Investment Center for Senior Housing and Care. Fee Stubblefield, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brad. Good to be here. Oh, great to have you here today. And gosh, we talked a couple of weeks ago. And of course, uh, during these pandemic times, we've had so many challenges. And, you know, you're kind of right smack dab in the middle of, of so much focus with regards to, you know, the seniors and where they're living. And I was so encouraged to hear how things have been going in your communities. And let's just kind of start about that. T- tell me a little bit how you're holding up personally, you and your family, and how is the Springs Living doing uh, during these interesting times? Yeah, definitely interesting times. Um, we're doing well. I think we're doing a little better these days than we were uh, two or three months ago yeah. when we didn't know what was happening. We, It felt like we were waking up every day in a horror movie and <laughs> yes. there's no rules, so there's ways. no guidelines. And, you know, you when you have the CDC and state and local health officials uh, saying to do this one day and that another day, uh, you realize pretty quickly you can't rely on them for your survival. So you must think, innovate, and uh, do what we're supposed to do every day, which is protect our residents and our staff. And when you uh, were out ahead of this thing, I remember in our in our brief discussion that you kind of saw the signs early on. I think you became aware of it. Wasn't it back in November, December, right? And then started taking steps in January, February? Well, I guess in fairness, it was more of a, an awareness. We had a mm-hmm. couple of things that happened that really probably prepared us to be a little more hypersensitive. And and I'm thankful that these things happened. Otherwise, in a normal year, we might not have been as quick to the trigger on it. But we we actually had an executive uh, 
retreat uh, last October right, and we right. did a SWOT analysis. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was just a great retreat. And we were trying to think of, uh, of threats, right? Threats to our business. And with the coming age wave and the demographic, um, you, you know, wins in our favor and, and the success that we've had over the, the 24 years, we just couldn't think of anything. And so yeah. I just kind of jokingly wrote on the board, pandemic, right? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Yeah. And, and so it was, it was just, people kind of looked at it and went, yeah, I guess that could happen. Well, right? I mean, what else could it be? I mean, we yeah. couldn't think of anything. I mean, <laughs> right, it, it wasn't, right. it, it wasn't money. It wasn't customers. Yeah. It wasn't qual- quality other than the normal stuff you're working on getting better at every day. And then, but then we had something that really caught my attention in December. And that was, we had in one of our newer communities, the Springs of Greer Garden in Eugene, Oregon, we had an outbreak of norovirus. that was particularly mm. challenging and tough. And we actually quarantined residents for two weeks. Wow. And I got a lot of calls from residents and, and staff, and I visited, and it's like, wow, this is not good. We've got to figure this out. And so we went into, we launched a full, hey, let's let's dust off our infection protocols. Let's really look at this and take this to another level because mm-hmm. things seem to be changing. And so because of that, we it was top of mind. And then we live in, you know, I live, uh, our office is in Oregon here, and we've got a great state association, Oregon Healthcare right. Association, and uh, Jim Carlson, Phil Bentley, and the, and the, and the team, they're doing just a great job. And they actually picked this up. Uh, I went back and looked at my notes. We saw, a, a, I saw an alert come through in Bloomberg on January the 28th, and then I saw a, a Oregon Healthcare Association on the 29th or 30th, I can't remember, sent out uh, just a, hey, you know, you should pay attention to this. Right. And for some reason, it caught my attention. Yeah, and so yeah. you're right. We, on February 28th, when we had the first case uh, here in Oregon, right. we were ready and we shut everything yeah. hard stop down. And even before state mandates and city mandates and all that. They were a week or Good two weeks you. later. And we yeah. actually fought with the state. The state was actually fighting with us <laughs> to make family members. They were calling up complaining and they were requiring people to us to let family in. And we're going like, no. <laughs> so that switched the next week, obviously. So. Well, good for you. And and you've had very few cases, as I understand it, and uh, if any, and, and things have remained relatively stable these last several months. Yeah, our infection rate is low. Most of our communities, yeah. the vast majority, haven't gotten it. Uh, we, of course, we've had it and we've had issues, and we've, but we've gotten to know it. We've learned how to respond to it. We've adapted and we've pivoted. And I think it, being able to to make changes and deal with the unexpected has yeah. been very valuable. Our yeah. team has been absolutely spectacular in learning and adapting, and our industry in general. I mean, our industry is is very much aligned and together. It's a profession that offers you know, just great sense of purpose and right. opportunity and the way that everybody, not just the Springs Living, but all the organizations, particularly in Oregon and uh, here and in Montana, from what I can speak to, really bonded and banded together and we all helped each other. And I, yeah. I would tell you that the senior housing profession overall has a significantly lower infection rate. Uh, than the general population out there. Right. Now, yeah. this is a uh, this is a disease that obviously uh, attacks our primary customers. So right. the mortality rate's a lot higher when a senior gets it than sure. you know than a twenty year old. Sure. But um, it, you know, so but overall, um, you know, we're 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 doing well. Yeah. 
Well, congratulations. And that's just so, so insightful. You were able to have that brainstorm and, and take action accordingly. Well, let's, let's start about your early years and, and the Springs Living is a family story. As we mentioned in the bio, it was your grandmother or the care for her that kind of motivated it. Tell me about where, where you grew up, you know, what your early family life was like, parents, siblings, grandparents. Well, you know, it's it's kind of a unique uh, story. I grew up in a remote place in eastern Oregon, a family resort called mm-hmm. Lehman Hot Springs that my grandfather bought in 1925. Mm-hmm. And I grew up, uh, my first memories as a child were there. And uh, it was a, a very popular uh, place for eastern Oregonians mm-hmm. and uh you know, southeastern Washington uh, people to come. And there would be thousands and thousands of people that would show up there every year. And wow. it was just a, it was just a wonderful place. And yeah. it, it really... Um, and you grew up in that community. That was, that was... Home. Yeah, I grew up in that yeah. community in a small town called Pendleton, Oregon, you know. So mm-hmm. I grew up, uh, you know, doing, you know, hospitality, you know, cleaning, cleaning the restrooms, right. cleaning right. the pool, serving yeah. customers. Cheap labor. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously working on ranches and, and, uh, doing all those really hard jobs, dirty jobs, right. you know, yeah. early on in that yeah. environment where you're, it's a small business and you're struggling to do everything just to pay the bills. Sure. Builds character. Yeah. It lays a foundation. I think, yeah. Yeah. um, so many people want, everybody wants these great opportunities, but you, you can't deny the value of struggle and really paying attention to those hard entry-level positions that once you do them are critical, right. in my view, it can help you become a much better leader in the future if you've done those hard things and understand what our uh, frontline workforce is going through every day. What we're calling essential today, right? But uh, maybe not always treating that way. That's a subject for another podcast. So so mom and dad ran the place, grandfather, grandmother, and then inherited down or what was the organization as you were growing up? Yeah, well, it was just, a you know, my grandfather and my yeah. grandmother and, you know, my, my dad was the one that stayed and, and worked up there. And sure. um, it was, uh, it, it was, it was to be handed down. Um, right. My grandfather died in 72. My grandmother lived, uh, you know, for quite a while, all the way into 2004. So it wasn't, in, it wasn't passed down. Uh, unfortunately, before it was passed down during the 80s, uh, my dad had some really great ideas and plans that he mm. wanted to execute on this, you know, legacy property. And unfortunately, he did that at the worst economic time, certainly in the state, in Oregon's probably- oh, dear. Yeah, in the '80s, in Oregon was awful. It was the Great Recession of Oregon, and and the SNL crisis. And uh, I'll never forget. I was actually working construction on one of the buildings, the new lodge building that was being built. And my dad drove up after a meeting with the bankers, and and I knew something was wrong. And uh, that was a that that was it. I mean, the the bank pulled the loan. Uh, my dad ended up, uh, you know, the the lender ended up um, foreclosing. Um, Mm. You know, obviously making a long story short and we lost our identity. I mean, you grew up this wonderful place, mm-hmm. you have an identity of a family history and then it's all gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tough. Very tough. Yeah. So did you pack it up and move as a family then? Did dad go into another profession? What happened next? Well, I'd gone off to college, uh, yeah. kind of before, you know, kind of at the start of that and then went off to college, graduated from high school and went off to college. And so it took a few years for him to fight the fight. And, uh, uh, and then, then 
it was lost. And so that, yeah, they moved to the Portland area. Um, I was living, um, when I moved back to Oregon, I was living and working out of Atlanta. I was working when attending Clemson university. I worked for a large, uh, active retirement, uh, company and, and I ended up uh, transferring to Atlanta and running a marketing department for oh, them. And wow. that's where I really saw the, you know, the future potential. And this was in the, um, this was in the late eighties, future late potential 80s, yeah. for, for seniors housing and care. That's an interesting choice. Now, was there a hospitality, uh, you know, degree there? I mean, you moved all the way across the country. What, what motivated you to move all the way? The, you know, I, I, no, no, it was, it was, it was connections. It was, it was, mm-hmm. if you grew up in a small town in Oregon in the eighties and with the recession that was going on, I just remembered knowing that I needed to get away and experience life somewhere else. And so (laughs) we don't have enough time in the podcast to go through those early years of my personal life, but I ended up in Clemson uh, and wasn't there very long before I started working for this company and they offered me the chance to, to transfer. And so I actually for, for, you know, stopped attending Clemson to take this job in Atlanta. And it was, it was a great decision. And was it a senior community then fee or what? Yeah, it was an active retirement. So, they, so we did, um, it, it was, it was a company that's not around anymore. It's called real tech, but they real tech built these large, uh, giant 2000 acre golf course developments, uh, in South Carolina, Virginia, North Carolina. And my job, I started actually, my early job was, believe it or not, because there weren't very many jobs back then, but it was a good paying job trying to put food on the table. It was in telemarketing. So oh. our job was to call up over the phone and, and convince people to come down and visit this community where they would mm. come down and there was a whole sales department and then they would sell them the real estate. And so I had no idea what telemarketing was or what any <laughs> of this was. I just, it was, they were paying well. And so yeah, I went sir. and I loved it. And it was, it, it's, it's so funny how that first job, which I got promoted out of, promoted several times there, and I love that organization. Mm. Um, how much I learned that yeah. communication and actually over the phone, that first job would lead me to a lot of future opportunities because I learned how over the phone you could communicate and develop a relationship and, um, you know, make progress. Right, so. Right. It was a, a very good, we had a, we ran a national. Was it all cold calling? Feed? No, it wasn't. It was a, actually an extremely sophisticated yeah. national marketing uh, program. We so had warm lead development. Yeah. yeah, it was warm. It was warm leads. Uh, they had all kinds of programs through DC and through or Washington, DC to right. Chicago, Detroit, where they would bring people that wanted to retire in the South. And it was just, it's a great experience. I learned a lot, um, worked my way up to be the marketing director in that company. Wow. Uh, and then the the pool of Oregon and the seven generations before me that have been here, um, you know, I thought I'd come back and build homes. And so I started my own home building company and okay. left senior housing behind. I didn't know if I'd be back to it. Well, but before we leave that, though, I got a couple of questions. So, so that's obviously when you first started managing people, right? Was that in the sales position or more when you moved into the marketing area? Well, I think, I think like in a lot of companies, people start yeah. off and if they're, they do good in a job, an entry level right. job, they get an opportunity for management. That's what happened to me. I became a, I became a supervisor yeah. and, uh, I got to manage, you know, shifts basically and be responsible for group output. And I loved it. Um, I was able to, you know, design some new methods for us to increase our production That's great. and yeah. to communicate 
were you managing mostly younger kids like yourself that were just out of college? Was it people of all ages? Yeah, it was people with all ages, but it was interesting, um, you know, because I was going to college and I never forget um, my manager, Ethel. I, (laughs) I, she did a lot for me and I appreciate her very much, but uh, I got promoted uh, to be kind of the number two in that department. And then the, the vice president of marketing, this is really interesting, needed some projects done. And so he came to my manager and, and asked for somebody that she felt would, you know, would, would fit that role. Right. And I, I never forget this because, um, back then the only computer in the company was a compact, the size of a suitcase. <laughs> and, uh, we had a whole fulfillment operation, telemarketing. It was all part of the sales process. But anyway, Dan Penn, great mentor of mine, um, I took I took the job and did several projects. And then he they were having trouble with the production, and I ended up getting promoted over my former supervisor. And that wow. was hard. That wow. was hard. Those are yeah. the hard decisions as sure. you evolve, because in the end, I had to add, I had to end up letting her go, and that was kind of. And you, you manage that person. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, those are hard things that yeah. not everybody's cut out to, to make those hard decisions, but you right. have to make them right? because you know, if you don't, it could be worse. As Andy Grove said, it could be worse later. Yeah, that's right. That's but, right. Now, how long were you with that operation? Oh gosh. Um, I, w- I was there for a couple of years at yeah. real tech, yeah. uh, before I decided to, it, well, before they, relocated us to Atlanta and I consolidated all the marketing for the company. And we ended up with a fulfillment operation of about 60 people in Atlanta. And, uh, I ran that department and it was just a great experience. And it really gave me a foundation for, for, um, it was a family owned company. So that helped me a lot. That gave me a perspective into the, the good and the bad of family owned companies. Sure. And they gave me a lot of responsibility. And for that, I'm forever grateful. Yeah. Awesome. What were some of those leadership lessons that you've learned, you know, in terms of particularly managing people where, you know, the, the age difference may be great, or as you said, you had to be, you know, promoted over someone that you had reported to in the past. If you had to kind of, you know, distill some of those things, what would that be? Well, there's, you know, there, obviously there's a lot of them, but I would say number one is, um, people are people and you have to work as a team, even though somebody's the, the manager, which is, you know, very different between a manager and a leader. But even though you're the manager, you can't get anywhere without everybody. So you have to find a way to come together and figure out how to get there together. And what I found is the age really didn't matter. I mean, I was Mm. in my early 20s and none of the people that I worked with had a problem with it because what we were doing was effective and we were able to talk through and, and get clarity. But I learned very on is if everybody has clarity and vision mm. on why you're doing it. Yeah. Right. And they, and they know that the, the, the leadership and the management cares about them. So I, I think the way you treat people was, I, I learned very early on right there, the difference between uh, positional uh, power mm. uh, and, yeah. um, you know, leadership. Respect. Mm. Yeah. Leadership, yeah. you know, right. A, right. a leader, a leader doesn't use their position to, to make things happen. A leader, right. you know, is able to coalesce around a vision and bring those resources and people together to make it happen. And I learned they that early it, on, yeah. but yeah. I, but the other lesson I learned is that you have to be willing to make some hard decisions, controversial mm. decisions. And I learned that not everybody can 
see those decisions. Right. And you must be willing to uh, go against the tide mm. and do the right thing. Stay the course. Call it like you see it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So Siren's Call, uh, or Oregon uh, came back at you. you. You left and you said you wanted to go in the building business. So was that right. kind of, that's where you left off, right? Or you began right. to do that when before you went to school, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Came back, started a small home building company and failed like crazy. Uh, it <laughs> what a, years are we? Are we early 90s now? Early 90s. Yeah, early we're 90s, late, yeah, yeah, yeah. Finishing up the late 80s. I think right, 89, right. I, I came back, uh, 89. So I took a job with a, had to take a job with a, uh, luckily, um, I found a job with a um, local multifamily developer called the Robert mm. Randall Company. Very prolific uh, multifamily developer here in the Pacific Northwest. And because I had that experience uh, back at Realtek in South Carolina in telemarketing and other things, they thought that I would be a great fit to help them um, find institutional investors to help them finance their multifamily developments. <laughs> and it was another great learning experience that yeah. I totally failed at and they fired me. <laughs> oh, goodness. By the way, I highly recommend getting fired once in your life. It Absolutely. Will, it Absolutely. will... It, it humbles will, you <laughs> and you learn from it, right? <laughs> it just, you know, it helps you find your way. That's right. And, and That's there right. are people out there that are able to be very successful without that. Unfortunately, I was not one of them. All right. <laughs> so what was next? Well, that, you know, things kind of snowball from there, right? Yeah. And I guess for us and for me at the Springs Living, everything I do is kind of connected to story and place. And I think it, it, you know, I think this goes for, you know, personal lives as well as our, our, our corporate or our organizational right. lives is one thing leads to another, right? Chapters are sequential. Yeah. And, and so that I, and I, and I think the past helps dictate, even as to turn you in a completely different direction, it helps guide you to your next deal. And so it's funny how it's almost, in some ways, I kind of feel like uh, that Indiana Jones movie where he's running across trying to get out of the cave and he's jumping from <laughs> one pillar to the next and they're crumbling underneath of him and he's just making it. To me, that is the perfect metaphor for surviving the initial startup phase of a company right. is that That's Indiana right. Jones jumping from yeah. peer to peer. But I, I got hired by uh, a large uh, commercial real estate group called, at the time, Grubbin Ellis, sure. um, who, who hired me to... Um, because Robert Randall Company was a multifamily developer, they hired me to work in their investment property division. And that was an amazing experience. And mm. I thrived. Yeah. Um, I thrived and I really built a lot of core skills, right? Yeah, was that commercial property for the most part? or, or uh, Residential, residential, multi, residential uh, yeah. apartments, basically. Oh, apartments, right. Investment. I mean, there's different asset yeah. classes, but yeah. Right, right, right. So where I grew up with a very a deep family story and history mm. and sense of pride at this place and cut my teeth on hospitality and hard work and basic things, right? Um, I then jumped to really getting my foot into senior housing, you know, at Realtek mm. and management ability. Then I jumped into this multifamily world of finance and and corporate um, challenges. Right. It, it was, it was, um, it was not a good, not a good fit for me. Mm. Uh, great company, but just not a good fit for me. Then that, that, that led to, right. This getting hired, uh, 
by Grubbenhaus, which right. just led me to an eight-year stint of doing yeah. multifamily investments. And what I learned there, which was a key thing to run in a company, was I really learned the details around finance and negotiation mm. and and survival, right? Yeah. Because right. you eat what you kill. Yeah, um, that's right. It, it's just the way that it is. You have, there's no big salaries. There's no, it, it, there was no guarantee that I would even make it there. And right. I barely made it, but that was such a great foundational thing. So each step of the way, each job, each position really gives you a um, ingredient to, to build upon your, yeah. your, your recipe for your organization. Yeah. But I knew that just sell the problem with that, um, with that job was um, I put my heart and soul into each of these transactions mm. and then you know, I'd, I'd make the transaction happen and then I had to go find another transaction, <laughs> right, but I really right. believed in what I, what I did and the, and the, the deals I would put together and I didn't want to go anywhere. I wanted to stay and help, but it's like, I wasn't needed anymore. Right, so I just, right, I just right. knew like I grew up, I knew I needed to be deeper. I needed, I knew I needed, I wanted to build something yeah. that just, I wanted to, I wanted to own I knew. I just always knew I wanted to own my own organization. Right. I mean, I right. just knew that. wasn't sure what that was, yeah. and so I started branching out on my own to actually develop, uh, to purchase and renovate and develop multifamily. And so right. I did that right. for a number of years, and that kind of led me to, you know, what is now the Springs Living. Yeah. That was kind of the last step. Well, gr- grandmother inspired, as I understand. Now, was this the same well, grandmother that was part of the family business back yeah, in Eastern Oregon? So, yeah, yeah, Lillian Stubblefield, my grandmother. Yeah. I grew yeah. up and was our was a, this amazing Paternal grandmother, I presume. Right? Was your dad's mother? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and she, yeah. So all along, I mean, there's multiple stories going on at the same time. She's always my rock that's there for me mm-hmm. during all these hard struggles and yeah. all these different life challenges. And she's the one thing that you can always go back to. And when it became obvious that, um, she couldn't stay in her own home Mm. and she used to, she used to make me promise. And I was, I was around her a lot more than a lot of the other grandkids. And, and so I did her lawn and, and I would always do her errands and things for her. And, and she made me promise, don't put me in an old folks home. Mm. And to her, an old folks home was not a congregate setting necessarily, although that's how you kind of embody it physically. But it was more the way people are treated. Oh, there were horror stories in the 50s and 60s. Come on. I mean, yeah, goodness. It was funny. I was reading uh, my friend of mine, a front page of the New York Times for her birthday over the last several years. And we were reading one of them back in the mid 60s about these horror stories with the senior retirement homes and how they on the East Coast and how they had to refurbish them or rename them. I mean, it was it was horrible. Terrible. It, it, I remember yeah. visiting a relative in a nursing home is one of my clear memories with mm. my grandmother. And, and sh- sh- she we were visiting the relative. It wasn't a good situation. We're walking out. She looks in this room. She yeah. stops. She tells me to wait. Of course, I peek in the room and, and there was a, a gentleman that was lying on the bed. All of his covers had fallen off. So he had no clothes on and oh, he was shivering and there was nobody there. And she went in, she oh, covered gosh. him up and she told me, never put me in one of these things. Yeah. You know, and, the, and, and there were good people there yeah. that were doing their best. And it's just, it yeah. just, it's incumbent yeah. on, on us, every generation to try to make it better and to evolve things. And I think, but she was right. definitely a right. key influencer. And so for me, 
Brad, all, all this came together when she had a heart attack and how can mm. I fulfill, how can I fulfill that promise? Of course. Yeah. She couldn't live, live on her yeah, own. And of course, you know, Oregon was definitely one of the early movers and innovators in uh, long-term care, senior housing. We just have a ton of great mm. providers, great people here. And so that was happening, which I was aware of going on. Meanwhile, I, I was also building, you know, large, I knew how to build and acquire land development, do the, yeah, the whole right. piece. And so it right. all co- coalesced the into, side. Yeah. let's just build one of these. Right. Let's just build a building is all yeah. I was trying to do is build a building. I had no idea it would turn into a company. <laughs> you want a place for grandma. <laughs> and actually, yeah. more importantly. Yeah. And did, did she move in? Was she one of the first residents? She wasn't one of the first, uh, but she did move in. Both my grandmothers ended up living and, and passing away. And so and I think that's the thing that differentiates the Springs amongst uh, it really differentiates the Springs is the fact that. We still today, everybody in this organization mm. looks at each of our residents like their family yeah. because that's how this yeah. company started and it's in our DNA. And every decision we make is about one thing, right? What's the right thing to do for quality, for quality for that relationship, quality for the work that we're supposed to provide, uh, and the quality of everybody right. that's here, the resident, the family, right. and also, also the people we work with. Awesome. And today, how many facilities, how many, um, what do you call them, uh, residents, I guess, inside the living? Uh, communities. Oh, residents. Well, I, yeah. I don't, we're somewhere over 2000. We have 18 yeah. communities in Oregon and Montana and we now are called the Springs living back then. I didn't even, there wasn't a connection. Um, but what's really fascinating about this story, and this is where it really comes to, you know, following, you know, each of us really understanding that that special thing that, that we can do, uh, to make a difference and is, is our purpose. What really happened is, you know, we started off, I built a community and then another community and we used to be called Willow Creek Management. Like that was the creek that ran behind there, our office building. Right. So it's like, we didn't even know what to name the name it. Cause I didn't right. think this was going to be a real business. Yeah. We're just going to do a couple, take care of my grandmothers. And that was it. But in the end, what I realized, what it, what in the end, um, happened here is that every, all these, all these disparate pieces came back together when mm. in the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, uh, at an auction, I was able to oh, buy back the original fantastic. hot springs. Wow. And, mm. and with that, the, the vision mm. emerged for the springs living. And the, the fact that that original place where I grew up. Mm. So I got to describe to you, Brad, this place where I grew up. Because how I got into senior housing and specific, it specifically into senior housing um, was really an accident. I, I went to a conference. It was a multifamily conference and they were doing a session on senior housing, but it was before the conference. It was before there was, you know, now there's massive, multiple massive conferences just right. focused right. on senior housing and care and long-term care. But back then there wasn't. And so they had this one little, it was a, a breakout group, a senior living breakout group, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a breakout group. If you want to learn right. more about it, because I had this idea, I wanted to build one. So anyway, uh, the guy that ran the thing back then. Uh, afterwards, we were at dinner, and we went to dinner, and we we're just talking about life and where things are. And he said, "Well, tell me, you know, where'd you grow up?" Well, I said, "Well, I grew up in a pretty cool place in Eastern Oregon." Is this? He goes, "Tell me about it." I said, "Well, it's this cool mm. place. There's like 50 hot springs that, that 
artesian hot springs that come out of the ground and they form this hot river and it runs into this 9,000 square feet of pools. And it's just this amazing place. And then around it, my grandfather built a lodge uh, out of a timber off, off the place. And then they built, he built cabins and then he built a, a large dance hall, mm. uh, a large dormitory. Uh, you know, they sold some lots off. And so what they did is around this place, because it's a really remote place. Nobody would go there. Nobody would go to this place unless there was this mat special place. And I kind of feel that's yeah, a metaphor right. for senior housing, but I'll get back to that in a minute. So anyway, I tell him about this place and he, he stops and he goes, you just described the perfect <laughs> metaphor for senior housing. And I said, what are you talking about? And at the time, the industry was really focused right, on just right. building standalone assisted living buildings. He goes, well, in my opinion, this guy was a visionary. In my opinion, it's it takes so much, and the staff is yeah. is your core yeah. asset there, and the care and the compassion they bring. That once you get a good group of people around that, you need to have multiple ways of taking care of people. Mm -hmm. Some need independence, some need assisted, some need memory right. care, and then you can go on from there. And so, what I realized was this place where I'd grown grown up. Mm. where this yeah. water, this very pure water that boils out of the ground and warms people um, huh. was a great metaphor for senior housing because just like my grandfather built a lodge and an A-frame, cabins, different things are, that people could come and um, enjoy, the, the yeah. metaphor in our business is the staff. Yeah. They're, that, yeah. hot, they're yeah. that hot spring. They're that water that warms and then around mm. it, we build independent systems. Yeah, it does. I love it. I love it. Does that make sense? And so, it, but, and so this vision emerged of like, whoa. And I was able to That's buy this great. back at cents on the dollar. And we use it today to, for leadership training. We take our, our staff there to kind of get back to our roots. But here's the really crazy part of this story that really, for me, gives a, a deep sense of connection. And for all of us at the Springs Living, gives a deep sense of connection and purpose is that it was a number of years later, I was talking with uh, an, old, uh, an old family friend who happened to be um, uh, the, the, the chief of mm. the, the indigenous. Cayuse uh, mm -hmm. as part yeah. of the, the, the tribe. Yeah, mm. one of the last full-blooded Cayuse Indians alive. And uh, we, were, we were actually at an event and I ran into him mm. and he knew my family forever and he didn't know I owned Layman back. And he said, what do you, you know, I, I said, Hey, Jesse, do you know who the Native Americans were that were, were at Lehman? And he goes, well, that was us. It was at Cayuse. Because my grandmother used to tell me about stories of they would come up, they would pitch their teepees, and they would be there for weeks, and they would go into the woods. And there was supposedly a lost wow. Native American gold mine, right? And so I, start, I thought I'd start have some fun with him. And so I said, well, if that was you guys, then can you give, you know, I just bought Lehman back. Can, can you give me the GPS right. coordinates for the lost gold mine? And he kind of looked at me strange and he goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, there's no lost gold mine up there. He oh, goes, we use that goodness, for our retirement. That's great. Community. Oh my gosh. That's where we took our old ones. And actually we have on our YouTube channel, you can see him tell that story on our YouTube channel. Um, it's pretty fascinating. But well, you that's know, that was the go. gold of their community, wasn't it, V? Right? It was. And they honored their, uh, they honored their elders. So anyway, so that all those things came together, yeah. Brad. No, no. Do you have this, a community there as well, or you no. use this only for training? Just for staff, just for staff and training. Training. Originally, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's just for, for leadership yeah. training because we can take so many me- metaphors and leadership lessons oh, out of it. Yeah. And we've been doing we've been doing it for quite a few years now. And it's, I can tell you that it's been very impactful yeah. because, you know, I think the things, you know, that, that we look for when we're trying to work with somebody, we look for three things. We look for the, the core foundational things thing that we start with right. is values. Yeah. Is there a connection on values, right? Does some, do the values that this group of people and, and culture in my view is, is, is amalgamation is just, it's, it's people, right. right? And it's the values that they bring to that culture and what they make there. And so one, we look for people with values. And the second thing is we look for story. Is mm. there a connection when we can find somebody that, that not only has a shared, shared values, but their story, meaning yeah. maybe they cared, maybe they worked in a different, you know, caring culture. What's been their maybe journey? They, yeah. What's been their journey? Yeah. yeah. And then we can combine that with the KSAs, meaning the knowledge, skills, and abilities. Right. It can be very powerful and impactful. And so, so yeah, we're we may be the only company in the United senior housing company in the United States with its hot springs that does takes and does leadership training. And our goal there is to take our employees there yes. and give yeah. them a tangible experience yeah. similar to what and make them feel uh, loved, warm, welcome, loved, <laughs> well important, taken care, just of. like yeah. they do for our residents yeah. and our yeah. communities. Terrific! Gosh, I love that. Super! It's amazing how it's it's come all back around, hasn't it? from your very early beginnings. We, we talked a lot about culture and you've kind of, you know, dabbled a little bit with a, a few, you know, phrases here and there, but what, what would you say is most unusual or unique about your culture, particularly within the senior living community environment? Well, besides the obvious things around culture and hot springs and <laughs> Native Americans and gold mines, um, the, the thing that I think that we've done, that we've brought is we brought a maybe just a slightly different way of looking at it. Uh, we spend a lot of time trying to distill um, who the people are mm. that sh- should be working caring for our residents. Yeah. And then once once we bring them on and we've checked the boxes on that we a distillation process, we actually um, there's a whole story around that we'll talk about maybe, uh, but. Once we once we find that person, we give them the we empower them to do one thing. All we want them to do is one thing, and that's do the right thing mm. for the residents, for the staff, for their employees. Yeah. And that right thing is quality, right? Quality and and start number one. We're a people business. Quality number one thing in quality is relationships. Right. You can't be good as an organization. No, you can be the very best at cutting carrots or, <laughs> you know, polishing cars or making widgets or whatever you do. But if you don't have any relational ability, nobody really cares right, right. to that in our business, the relational ability That's is it. the number one ingredient. Yeah. But then we also want quality in our work. We want to execute on our culinary, mm. we want to execute on obviously on our health services and all those other components of our business. But we lead with relationships. Right. We make sure our work is there. And then I think deeply, we care very deeply about the individual person. And every we all say that. And But I think what I hear most from people is that they can feel it. Yeah. yeah. That they're, 
you know, and you, you can't say things like, oh, we're genuine. You just can't say stuff like right, that, right? right? You can't, it just, you don't say stuff like that. But what we hear other people saying is that they find a genuine environment, yeah. um, not perfection. We don't get, we don't get uh, labeled with uh, the word perfect. In fact, I was looking at some of your questions here, Brad, that, that you threw up here. And one of them was, what did your what did your report card say or what did your teacher say about you in <laughs> school? And I actually found some of those cards from like grade school. And I was looking at them and a bunch of them, several different ones from several different one said, if he'd only apply himself, right? <laughs> he could do so much more. So that's we don't true of many entrepreneurs, you know, because typically that's in a subject you could have cared less about. Yeah. <laughs> right. True. <laughs> true. Uh, so anyway, I would, I would say that, um, that, that we lead with relationships yeah, yeah. and we strive every day to be higher quality of, uh, on our work and execution. Right. And we work every day to drive uh, benefits and to, to make the, the rising tide has to lift all the boats. Yep. And so our frontline workers, our biggest focus uh, over the last several years has really been how do we how do we continue to drive the resources and the quality and really the opportunity, okay, to our frontline workers. Right. Right. Um, they're not going to be sad if we just give them, I mean, if we pay everybody a billion dollars and do that, it's, it's not going to get people where they want to go it's it's really giving them the tools and the opportunity for them to advance matter of fact we just promoted august 1st brenda conley to chief operating officer brenda has worked with us for 10 years mm. started as an executive director but this kid i call her a kid mm. brenda fascinating brilliant she just finished her master's in uh healthcare analytics from uh, duke university uh She's a nurse. She ran our quality for years, but she started out as a water girl in a nursing home. Wow. And she was one of those frontline caregivers. Yeah, she knows what it's like. That's worked her way up and is now the chief operating officer. She's got the and, huh? Right. Yeah. And so we want people to see that they can do that, right. that there's one, they have hope and they have direction and, and, and the rising tide can lift all the boats. Yeah. Not only can we show up every day and take care of these amazing people we get to care for in, 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 in quiet, lonely moments that nobody sees mm. that these lives are touched when nobody's around in the middle of the night, but they can also take care of their families yeah. too, have the opportunity to advance themselves and take care of their families. And that's our biggest, greatest purpose in all this is really, we do a great job taking care of people. And every day, every year, we want to be a little bit better yeah. at taking care of our employees. You have a fascinating story and we could probably talk for another 40 minutes, but we're just about out of time fee. But we do ask all of our guests to, you know, kind of just describe what kind of career and life advice you give to someone that maybe has their eyes on the corner office or like you, you know, want to become an entrepreneur, follow their passion, maybe make the circles round in their career. But what would you tell them in terms of, you know, maybe someone's 10, 15 years behind you in age and experience? Oh, wow. Deep, great question. And, uh, I, there's no way to boil that into sound by other than this <laughs> is, uh, you know, Emerson had this great, uh, in one of Emerson's essays, he talks about, you know, don't, don't ignore that, uh, gleam of light that flashes in front of your eye, right. Mm. That listen to yourself, right. Yeah. Don't, don't do things just because people tell you that's the right way to do things. Think differently, challenge things, follow your own unique story. Right. Don't just fall in line lockstep. Um, 
you know, and find a problem and fix it. I mean, that's all I've done. Yeah. I didn't know senior housing was even a thing. Um, I just saw a problem and I happened to have the tools to fix it. I didn't pick it. It picked me. <laughs> a great way to sum it up. Well, Fee Stevelfield, founder, president, and uh, CEO of The Springs Living, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brad. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 